Yes, there we go. All right. At this time, the two, th- three, four-year-olds headed to Toddler Nursery and Children's Church. Those of you who remain here in the sanctuary, if you would please flip over to Psalm 26. Psalm 26. As we continue our series together, Songs for Our Savior. Psalm 26. <clears throat> A Psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Let your love, uh, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with the pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all of your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. May it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, may you use it for our good and for your glory to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, may we be transformed. May the spirit work in us and among us, causing us to be less like our old man. And to help us, to aid us through grace to put on Christ. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So this morning we see that Jesus is our integrity. Jesus is our integrity. In verses 1 through 7, there is a call for God to judge and to test David. To judge and to test me. Now, that's the words for vindicate and examine. The word for vindicate means to judge. It means to to evaluate lawfully. Uh, And then for examine, this is the concept of putting something to the test to see if it can withstand pressure. It's uh, often used with uh, the idea of testing metal to see how strong it is, to see how valuable it is. And so there's a there's an open call on David's behalf to the Lord for the Lord basically to shine his light into David's life. God, I want you to take a deep look inside of me and I want you to see the worth that is there now. I'll be honest, that's, um, that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. It's the Old Testament version of Paul basically saying to people, hey, listen, if you want to know what it's like to live like Christ, just live like me. It's pretty bold. It's pretty bold. And so David points out two key things here in this call for God to judge and this call for God to put him to the test, to vindicate and examine him. 
two key things. First, David makes the declaration that he has walked in integrity. That he's walked in integrity. And second, is that he has trusted the Lord without wavering. Again, very bold. David is just on the bold train today. There's a functional definition of integrity, and it goes a little something like this. Doing the right thing, even if no one sees you doing it. And so David is declaring to the Lord, judge me, examine me. I have walked in my integrity. And anybody who's paid half attention to David's life would go, hey, Bathsheba. Taking the census of the priests. Anyway, we could run through a whole host of list of things that David did that did not demonstrate integrity. That did not demonstrate doing the right thing, even if no one sees it happening. As if Bathsheba weren't bad enough, then you have the follow up with her husband. But yet he says, I've walked in my integrity. I have trusted the Lord without wavering. Am I the only one that's reading through this going, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. David is way off his rocker on this. I, I, wow. And then he wants the Lord in the midst of this. To also test his mind and his heart. Now, just for kicks there, the word that's um, translated mind there is actually a Hebrew word for kidneys. Maybe he's had too much sodium or I, I don't know. But it's the concept of the inner man. That which drives me to moral choices, that which demonstrates my inner desires, that which shows my longings. So not only is David making the declaration that he's walked in integrity, not only is he making the declaration that that he's never wavered in his trust of the Lord. He's also saying, I open my very inner desires for you to examine, O Lord. Okay. I'll just be honest. I don't I don't do that much. I I don't. Usually when I'm approaching the Lord in prayer, it isn't I've walked in integrity. Test everything about me. Usually when I come to the Lord in prayer, it's like you can clearly see that I have stumbled in my integrity and I did not trust you. Please forgive me. That's usually how my prayers go. This is pretty remarkable. Actually, what David is saying here. How can he be so bold? We know David is a sinner. We know David is a broken man. We know that David hasn't walked in full integrity. We know that David has wavered in his trust of the Lord. We know that not all of the inner workings of David's desires have been the type that you would want the Lord to test. So why is he being so bold? Because David understood true transformation of life. I want you to see what happens here. 
When you get to verse three, this is the source of David's boldness for God to judge and to test and to examine and to look into the deepest, deepest recesses of his inner life. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. And therefore, I have walked in your truth. That word for truth is also the idea of faithfulness. Because of your atoning, merciful compassion. That's more expanded understanding of loving kindness. This Hebrew word kesed, it's... Uh, it's it's the atoning, merciful love of God. It's the it's the it, it, if you could take everything that is wrapped up in the picture of God's atonement and the sacrifice in the Old Testament of an animal on behalf of the nation and the scapegoating of the of of the animal carrying the sins of the people away from where they dwell and away from the presence of God and the redemptive reality of God's forgiveness and covenantal love toward his people. That is what this word means. And so David says, Lord, I want you to judge me and I want you to examine me and I want you to look in my heart and look in my mind and I want you to see my integrity and I want you to see my unwavering trust. Why? Because of anything that I've done? Absolutely not. Because of your loving kindness. And your faithfulness. David knew full well. That his life. Examined apart from the work of God. Would never measure up. Ever. But he also knew. That his life. Examined through the lens of God's mercy. Would measure up every time. Because it would be the grace of God on display and not the work of man. David understood transformation of life. Notice what this does to David. Because he's living a life through God's loving kindness and through God's faithfulness. Notice what it does. I don't have close fellowship with deceitful men or hypocrites. The idea in the Old Testament of sitting with someone was intimate fellowship. Intimate fellowship. You didn't sit down with an enemy. That's not how that worked. You sat down with a close friend. And notice what he says. I will not sit with deceitful men. I won't go with pretenders. The idea there is the hypocrite. He continues. I hate the assembly of the evildoer and will not sit with the wicked. It's great parallelism here. Book ending the idea of sitting down with having close fellowship with someone who is not rightly walking with the Lord. I do not hold covenantal fellowship with people who are evildoers and live in their wickedness. Notice in verse six, I will wash my hands in innocence. And I will go about your altar 
O Lord, I will worship you with clean hands. Now, did David have clean hands? No. He didn't. So what's he washing his hands in? The loving kindness of the Lord. He understands that the Lord in his grace is making him clean. David is not worthy to approach the altar of God. And yet he goes about the altar of God. Why? Because God himself has welcomed David in. And because of this, he gives thanks and declares the wonders of God that I do this, that I might proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and declare all of your wonders, all of your miracles. And friends, one of the greatest miracles that David can proclaim is the miracle of his own salvation. Wretched, broken man that David is. Covered by the mercy of God. Putting on full display the grace of God to the world. Still to this day considered. Even among those who are still part of the nation of Israel. The greatest king that they ever had. Even with all of his flaws. Why? Because his very life was a display of the glory of God's grace. And friends, I think that that's very important for us to note. When the scripture calls for us to live a life of self-examination. Are we to look for the sins that are easily besetting us? Of course. Are we to look for those things that are tripping us up and making us struggle? Absolutely. But we can make an idol out of our sinning. We can place it on a pedestal of glory that belongs only to the Lord himself if we're not careful. We can live in anguish over the seriousness of our sin. Or we can live in joyous freedom over the glory that comes from the grace of God that has forgiven us of all of our trespasses. And this is what David was doing. David knew that he was a broken, sinful man. And left to himself, had no place in the presence of the Most High God. But rather than viewing his life through the lens of his fallenness and his sinfulness and his brokenness, David, through the Spirit, looked at his life through the lens of the mercy of God. And he was able to say with all honesty, I walk in integrity. Is it because I do everything right? No, it's I pursue the glory of the Lord. I have not wavered in my faith. Why? Because I'm always standing firm. Because I'm always standing tall. Because I never have any doubts. Absolutely not. I do not waver in my faith. Because faith is not something that has been mustered up in me. Faith is a gift of God himself. And his faith that he gives is unwavering. Oh, that I would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that the Lord Jesus Christ believes in me. For he has placed me in the father's right hand. And has declared that nothing will ever snatch me 
out of that hand. It's amazing. It's incredible. And so David is giving glory to the loving kindness of God. And what does this then do? This then moves David into community and redemption. Community and redemption. We're going to spend a little time here this morning. I'm going to step on some toes today. Because, you know, I don't ever do that. Community is not eating food together. Atheists eat food together. They don't have real community. Muslims eat food together. They don't have divine biblical community. And we can run through the list. Community is not a social event. Oh man, we had that good Christian community this week. We got together and we, uh, you know, talked about sports and we uh, went fishing. It's not community. Glad you got together. That's great. But it's not that that is not community. Community is a compound word comes from two words, common unity. We do not have common unity in food. We do not have common unity in social activities. We do not have common unity in any of these kinds of things. What do we have common unity in? We all have common unity in the same thing that David experienced. We are forgiven because of the loving kindness of God. The common unity that we share is the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while everything else about our lives may be vastly different. We are bound together by the great and glorious truth left to ourselves. We were condemned in judgment under the wrath of God as children of Adam in rebellion and enmity with the glorious God and King of heaven. And because of what Christ has done for us, we have now been set free and delivered, given a life we did not deserve and a kingdom we should never have entered into and a righteousness that could never have been ours. And it's because of him. That's our common unity. That's our community. And so when David comes to recognize and acknowledge and realize. That the only reason he can make the bold assertions that he's made. Judge me. Examine me. Look deep into the depths of my person. See my integrity. See my unwavering faith. It's because he understands The mercy of God. And when he understands the mercy of God, he recognizes I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one God has done this for. We can run a real dangerous thing in individualistic Christianity of thinking that we're hyper, super special because look what God did for me. God did that for a whole lot of other people. And David, recognizing this, look at what he says. Lord, I love the habitation of your house. 
The place where your glory dwells. The habitation of your house. Habitation. Those who inhabit, those who live in, those who find their life in this house. Dear friend, you are not the only one who is finding their life in the house of the Lord. And so when David says, I love the habitation of your house, he's saying, I love the other covenant people that you have given mercy to. Now, I want to just be crazy, vulnerable and honest with you this morning. I've been in this thing a long time. And there is a dark, ugly underbelly to the church. There just is. Why? Do you know why? Because it's made up of broken, sinful people. It just is. Had a professor tell me one time, he said, Philip, if you ever find a perfect church, please don't go be their pastor and mess it up. The church is made of broken, sinful people who don't always walk in the integrity of the Lord, who don't always live in an unwavering faith, who don't always actually embrace and focus in on and concentrate on the loving kindness and the common unity that we have in Christ Jesus. It happens. I know some of you are finding this as a shock this morning. I'm sorry to wreck and ruin your view of the church local and universal. But it's a work in progress. Yet, in spite of that, both in the Old Testament and in the New, the call is for the believer to view the other believers around them through the lens of God's loving kindness and his compassion and his grace and the common unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Even when we aren't getting along so well with each other. So when David says here, I love the habitation of your house. He's saying, I love the people. That you have brought into this covenant like you've brought me into this covenant. This is the hardest thing that David has said in this psalm. Because sometimes it's really hard to look across the aisle and be like, you know what? I love that person just completely and unconditionally. They're great. When you've been hurt by somebody, when you've been wounded by someone. When they've gotten under your skin. When you can't seem to find common unity in anything except Jesus. I had a professor long ago. I, I, I didn't really like the guy. I just didn't. No real personal beef with me. Uh, he never did anything that upset me personally. Just observing how he treated other students and did ministry, it bothered me. I just, I just didn't really like the guy. Just kind of got up under my skin. And I was talking to somebody about it one time. I said, you know, this is, I just have a really hard time being in this guy's class. I have a hard time listening to this guy preach. I have a hard time. Man, it's just, this, it just, this guy flies all over me, you know. 
And I had somebody who loved me enough a long time ago. They looked at me and they said, you know what? You got to let that go. Because the call is for you to love him. Because you have common unity with him in Christ. He has been saved as you have been saved. God has snatched you both from the fire. And whatever else you think about how he does or doesn't do things and how that sits with you, how that how that settles in on your soul. He is one that has been marked out for the glory of Christ. And you just have to choose to love that guy. To which I asked an incredibly, I thought at the time, profound and nuanced question. And it's been something that's followed me the rest of my life. I said, okay, I know the scripture teaches me that I must love this person, but do I have to like them? And we actually end up having about a 45 minute long conversation about like versus love and what the real mandate is and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of it, there must be an openness of heart to those that we have common unity with in Christ. Listen, I guarantee you, there are people that David felt were part of the habitation of the Lord that he did not like very much. And yet he said, I love the habitation of your house. It's like the story that's gone around And it's a beautiful picture of of the gospel. When Paul died and entered into glory, it was to the applause of the martyrs that he helped kill. That's how the gospel works. And before he died, he eventually was welcomed into local congregations led by and attended by family members of martyrs he had helped kill. I guarantee you, there were some people who did not want to love Paul. Friends, this is just real life. This is how this goes. David calls for us To love the habitation of the Lord. Where God's glory dwells. And then he follows it up with. Do not take my soul away along with sinners. Nor my life with men of bloodshed. In whose hands is a wicked scheme. In whose right hand is full of bribes. David calls for salvation and deliverance. David reminds himself of why he even gets to be in the habitation of the Lord in the first place. I love the habitation of the Lord. I love the place where God's glory dwells. Why? Because if God were being completely just, I would be taken away with all the other sinners. Friends, our Christian walk would be supremely magnified if we would finally and fully realize when we are in the presence of God and he is loving us as a father and we are welcomed in as children that we do not belong there. 
It would radically transform our attitudes and our perspectives. I do not belong in the presence of the Most High God for any other reason than for Him to judge me as a wretched sinner. And yet, day by day, because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, He does not carry me away with the other sinners and the men of bloodshed, but He welcomes me in. He seats me upon a throne. He crowns me with life and glory. He robes me with righteousness. And He lets me feast at His table every single day. And then David says, As for me, I will walk in my integrity. He's back to that. The parallelism of the poetry is beautiful. I will will live in my integrity. This is what I'll do. I'll walk in it. I'll live by it. How are you going to do that, David? There's a call for redemption and grace. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Redeem to set free from slavery. God left to myself. I am a slave of my own sin and my own way of walking. This is who I am. This is what I will do. I will live in a victimhood mentality. Everyone has wronged me and nothing is my fault. And everyone needs to stand into account for all of the ways that they have wronged me over my life. And I have, I'm not culpable in any of this. No, that's not the way of it. David says, instead, redeem me. Set me free from my sin. I know that I stand guilty. I want you to declare me innocent. Be gracious to me. Day by day. Moment by moment. The call of the Christian's heart is a call of thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus Christ that he has delivered us from our sin and that he has covered us with his grace. And what is it that David knows will happen when all of these things are true in this community and in this concept of redemption among others? He says, my foot stands On a level place. Wow, that sounds an awful lot like something Jesus said. About how you're supposed to build your house. And what kind of foundation it should have. The kingdom's ethic. Of being less than so that God can be greater than. Demonstration of a life transformed from the inside out. Because of the working of the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of foundation you build your house on. And when the storms come, it doesn't blow down. My foot stands on a level place. A firm footing. And because of that, because you have done this for me, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my strong tower. You are my banner of victory. And we could run through all the other Old Testament metaphors, most of them given by David in the Psalms, of what it means to be established in the Lord. Because of this, in the congregations, I shall bless 
the Lord among your people. I will worship your name. It's one of the reasons why the scripture calls for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, particularly as it relates to corporate worship and the corporate prayers, corporate confessions and the corporate hearing of God's word. Why? Because it's really easy to be in community when you're by yourself. Because you just happen to get along with everybody that you're with. And you don't actually have to embrace the reality of compassion and grace that's gone beyond you to others. You don't actually have to allow the Lord to shine that bright light of glory into the darkened spaces of your soul. You don't actually have to sacrificially yield room for others. David says, listen, my feet have been placed down on a firm level place. I don't deserve any of the things that I have. I don't deserve the grace that God has given me. I should not even be here. And I will bless the Lord in all of his congregations. Among God's people who have been saved like me, I will worship his name. Friend, if you want true integrity, the real doing of the right thing, especially when no one is watching, that can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You want a pure heart? You want a level foundation to stand on? You want an attitude of of gratefulness? You want a delight in worship? You want joy that surpasses all sorrow? You want peace that surpasses all understanding? You want comfort and hope beyond measure? These are found only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And let me let you know a little secret this morning. Just right here in this room. I know it's on the web. I know it'll go out. I know people everywhere are going to listen to it and whatever. But right here in this room right now. For the most part. The people who are gathered in this space right now. Are gathered in this space right now. Because they all agree with that same thing. I have no hope except the Lord Jesus. That is community. And that is greater than any other thing that you might face in this life. It's greater than any issue that you may agree or disagree on in this life. It is greater than any perspective you have about how things should or shouldn't be done in the ministry of the church. It's greater than any issue that you might have 
that's going on in society or in your family or in your workplace or anywhere else that you might find yourself. The declaration that you once were in Adam, but now you are in Christ. And the only reason that that transfer has happened is because of the gracious, loving kindness of God Almighty on your soul is the greatest drive for us to be united to one another. It is superior in every way to anything else that we might evaluate in this life. And David says it very well here. Because of what God's done for me, I'm standing on a level place and I'm going to praise God in all of his congregations. With all of his people. Friends, that, that is the true source of integrity. That is the true source of living a life oriented well. Is what Jesus has done. I thank him for it. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much. That Jesus is our integrity. Thank you so much that he is our common unity, our community. Thank you so much that what he has done on the cross and his resurrection from the dead has brought to us the loving kindness from your very hand, Father. And he has delivered us from our sins. He has rescued us from judgment. He has seated us in heavenly places. And he has given to us as sharers his glory. And Father, when I look to the right and to the left, I thank you that I see people who have had the exact same experience with the grace of God that I've had. Lost and dead in their sins, now made alive unto the glory of Christ. Father, as we cling to your son, let us also learn to cling to one another. For we are taking this same journey together. Sinners saved by grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response together this morning.